0: Every day we hoistle in Pilots and Bittards podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Bittards podcast.
1: This is Drew. I'm the
0: pragmatic cyclops of this podcast. I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast.
2: And I'm the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers.
0: And this is the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts and potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series.
1: A disclaimer, petard is a word. It is a real word. And petards are bombs. Look it up and uh, read your Shakespeare. It's good for you. And it is a quality alternative to podcasts.
2: Follow our blog and participate in our pre-recording discussions to become petard famous. Our episodes will be broken up into four parts.
1: Part one is a spoiler, spoiler-free spoiler analysis of the pilot. Maybe you should watch it. Maybe you shouldn't. Part two is hella spoilers. We let Mo loose and she goes crazy all over this place. Part three, we're going to wander outside of the pilot to any dangling threads of interest. And part four is the fun part because I did the quiz tonight. So I get to choose who's right. All right. You can go to our website to learn more about us and our podcast. And remember, Pilots and Petards is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community.
2: And we'd like to thank today's sponsor. Women in Comedy for the ad-free listening. So go out and thank your female comedian or just someone who appreciates lots of different voices in comedy.
1: And one last thing, uh, fuck you, Crooked Media. Fuck you for your crooked piece of shit ads. And fuck you for not engaging in this riveting online feud. We will continue our side of it until you pick up the slack and stop being lazy. You can contact us to sponsor a show, or you can contact us to slander a rival. Like, we'll really do either one for monetary
0: compensation. We would, like, feedback as always. We've had petard trivia for maybe most of the summer now. Let us know how you like petard trivia. And our last announcement, if you enjoyed today's ad-free listening, then you owe us. And you can repay us by either recommending our podcast to someone else, listening to more of our episodes, or give us that feedback I mentioned. And we will call it even.
2: So let's start the show. Join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the 1950s-based comedy, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. So what's everybody's backgrounds with Miss Maisel?
1: Um, I watched the first episode when I heard some really cool stuff about it. I watched it with Tori, um, and then Tori just snatched that iPad as, as she wants to do and watched the entirety of the rest of the season on her own schedule without my input or my uh, fellowship. Uh, Tori is
0: about seven and a half months pregnant,
1: so she does what the fuck she
0: wants. Fair. I had watched it because Mrs. Nomalous had recommended it, and she, she had already watched the whole series. We watched the pilot, and I really enjoyed it, and I blew through the whole series in probably a couple days.
2: My background is I've heard of it, but haven't seen it.
1: And you might have heard of it fairly recently because Marvelous Miss Maisel racked it up at the Emmys. Um, Outstanding comedy series, outstanding direction, outstanding writing, as well as outstanding lead actress for Miss Maisel herself.
0: So Jimbo, you want to hit us with that two sentence summary? Midge is the perfect housewife and her husband Joel is having a midlife crisis when he realizes he will never achieve his dream of becoming a comedian. How will the Mazels manage when their family hits an even larger obstacle? Stay tuned to find out if you should give a steaming pile of crap.
1: Part 1. Great, so welcome to part 1 of the episode. This is a spoiler-free zone. Got some highs, some lows, and some evaluation of the quality of the pilot. We recommend that you listen to part 1, Then, if you're down, go watch the show. Pause us, and come back for parts 2, 3, and 4. So, let's get some high points, some low points, and some in betweens. Mo jump in there
2: for sure, as always, I'm a sucker for a period piece, and this show did just that. uh it was an awesome insight into nineteen fifties New York. I love the old cabbies. I loved the insight into the one percent that was New York back in that time and and also just like the dynamics of uh, I guess I should say rich versus poor or those in line versus not in line. I'll stay, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I thought, I thought it was really well done. And the the imagery was what was my favorite part. How about you all?
1: Yeah. I mean, frequent listeners of the show know that I'm a sucker for attention to detail and they do it. There's this really great scene um, in like the first quarter of the episode where they're just driving down the street in New York and they just hit so many details about how vibrant the neighborhood is and, everyone's out on a stoop and it's great. You know, you feel excited and you feel hopeful and you feel um, optimistic and that kind of captures like their early marriage too.
2: How about you,
0: to go back to what Mo was saying, it it captures a great female perspective of the 1950s as well. And the thing that I really loved, it has to do with the satire and just the basic ridiculousness of being a fifties housewife. And I think this show really captures that. Uh, the show's funny we you know we could definitely have to tip tip our heads to that a show about a comedian is is funny oh yeah but i mean every everyone in the show is funny
1: in their own specific way like it's a great ridiculous satire and like my high high point and this was almost an mvp was tony shalhoub is in this show and his gloriously multi-ethnic can play any role <laughs> he is in fact lebanese-american from wisconsin um, but he is very, very, very funny as the stern, disapproving, like, curt and terse father of Miss Maisel. And he. every scene he is in is just, like, he's magnetic on screen. There's a reason that he is, like, a beloved and, you know, widely cast actor. He was fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I think we should piggyback just the cast in general. There's a mm-hmm. lot of great characters, a really great cast. I think Joel's a high point in... Drew disagrees. This is one one of our high lows. Mm -hmm. I think we'll definitely come
1: back to it in plot analysis. I will say I thought that Joel was poorly developed. You know, I don't think he's as well-rounded or at least as well-defined as other members of the cast. Joel is a little bit of a villain in the first episode, so I might be getting in my feelings. You know, like I'm supposed to dislike him. But I would also say that there are other people in other shows we have watched that we dislike but understand better. What about you, Mo? Were you on the Joel train?
2: Yeah, he's just kind of this basic villain who... I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make an appearance again, but maybe he will. I don't know.
1: On on the fuckboy scale, uh, Mo, is he above or below Dawson?
2: Oh, like level... Yeah, he's off the scales.
0: He's below Dawson. What?
2: <laughs> I think he's above. Dawson was young.
0: I'll defend Joel later. All right. Now
1: let's let's hit another low point. And this is a low point it looks like we all kind of came in on. Uh, ah, this is a fun show. This is a great show. Lots of cool characters. 10 minutes too long. Need an editor. Need a sharper editor. Meaner editor.
0: I, I agree with that. At one point, I actually thought the second episode started playing. Me too. The show kind of ended like three quarters and then all of a sudden it just kept extending it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, crap, did I like miss the like credits and then it seg into the next one? I'm like, how did I miss that?
1: And it's not like any part of the show could have been cut. It's not like I was like, that scene was pointless. It's just like almost every single scene went on for like an extra 90 seconds. And the cumulative effect was you just ended up with a long show. I think they could have just been a little bit more judicious with every single scene, except for Maisel. Like, it's cool that she talks a lot. Like, that's her thing. You know, she's outspoken and a little bit different for that time. It makes her a fun and engaging character. Not everyone needs to be as chatty or as well-spoken as Midge. It's weird to call her Midge because, like, I hard I did not even hear her name spoken that much in the
0: show.
2: They didn't really say it very often. It's like Miss Maisel, which may, might be intentional.
0: Well, Midge is a nickname as well. I'm pretty sure the character's real name is is Miriam. M- Miriam. Yeah, it's Miriam.
2: But yeah, to build off the the fast talking that you touched on, Drew, that was kind of a low point of mine, with the exception of Midge, because, like you said, having every character be this like gregarious overly expressive person just made the entire show run way long and it made my head feel like i was spinning like it was like ping-ponging between the characters on who's speaking and what who's saying what and it's just was super fast talking and maybe that's how it was back in the day in in new york and in that community or in that culture but um it felt a little bit too much
0: well i have some research to toss in on this subject so amy sherman oh yeah someone's someone's gonna do well in photography trivia Amy Sherman-Palladino, she created Gilmore Girls, and supposedly the marvelous Miss Maisel is kind of ripping off and recycling some girl, some Gilmore Girl jokes, and I guess, I guess, like the fast-paced talking is like a Gilmore Girls thing as well. That is a Gilmore Girls
2: motif. Oh, it's the same writer,
0: the same creator writer, and she, she did this show. We'll see who has the fastest buzzer.
2: Oh. I already forgot her name.
0: I think if I answer a question during the show, I should get a point for it. I like, I like the precedent that Mo, that you know, that Mo set.
1: I'm the judge. I disagree.
0: Yeah. Okay. Not, not gonna fly this week.
1: I think like the fast talking and the humor and wit should make you know Mitch special. Should make Miss Maisel special. But when everyone does it, you know, it makes it less special. So that that is a low point, and I can see that as a low point, Mo. Um, any other highs we want to hit? Tony Shaloub, once again, fantastic. My petard are, is Tony Shalhoub-tastic.
0: Let's toss out one more high. The only Emmy that The Marvelous Miss Maisel won that wasn't for a comedy topic was for outstanding music supervision. And Amy Sherman's husband is supposedly like a guru for music. So I think this maybe speaks to, to his musical interests as well. And so that, I mean, I think that should be maybe mentioned as a high point just because it won an Emmy. Amongst all t- television, Jimbo,
1: you do have a soft spot, and you do a little more analysis on the music than either of us do. You know that being said, Jimbo is the musician of the group.
0: I play a musical instrument barely. I'm not the musician. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good.
1: I'm good. Mo, you good? Yep. So let's roll things into MVPs, and for the new listeners, MVP stands for Most Valuable Part, the most valuable part of the
0: episode, and so. Jimbo, why don't you lead things off? I kind of went with my MVP based off of my first viewing experience. This is a little bit of a spoiler, I guess, but Midge does stand-up comedy in the pilot episode and her stand-up, I just remember loving that scene so much the first time I watched it. I will say it doesn't quite hold up as well for me on the second viewing, but I think it was just so great that first time and maybe it was because I already knew what was going to happen and stand-up maybe isn't always as good the second time you watch it. that's a great scene, well worth an MVP. I agree. And
1: I think what I like about it is um, it's observational humor, you know, which I, I definitely enjoy, like Seinfeldian, like foibles and small things about life. But it's all about the telling and it's all about the delivery. And she's charismatic and it's very cool that that's part of her stand up and the way that they portray it in the show as almost like a natural instinct is very cool. And it's an awesome storytelling device. So I think it's a pretty good set. And I also think it's a really interesting way to progress the story and teach us things about uh, Miss Maisel.
0: Hit us with it, Mo.
2: I guess I want to...
0: Give it to Joel, man. Joel Joel was my honorable mention.
2: Fuck Joel. No, he sucks. I really liked the short little bartender whose name I didn't get, but the one who... Susie. Susie. She was almost a borderline crabman because she wasn't in it enough and I, and you can tell she's going to be in it more. Yeah. She doesn't say much. And she doesn't have too many scenes, for the most part, considering that it's a 53-minute pilot. She's not in it, like, that much. But I just liked her humor. I liked her, like, rough rough edges. I loved her tiny little apartment. I loved how she ragged on everybody trying to do stand-up and knew exactly what was happening when Joel was trying to do his bit. And I love how much she loved Maisel.
0: And the and the actress that played Susie, I don't recall her name, Drew probably knows it. Alex Borstein. She also has some Gilmore Girls connections, and she's the wife from Family Guy. Yeah,
1: that's Lois. She was so funny, and the thing is, her humor is brutal. Like, it is cutting, it is mean, it is dry. So it is, like, that is my favorite type of cruel, cruel humor, um... This one time I was taking a class in college and it was like a golf class. And so twice a week we met at the driving range and my two, two friends who weren't in the class showed up one day and I was like, what are you doing here? And the one guy, Dan was like, I love stupid questions. And then kept walking past me. That didn't feel good, but it was very funny.
2: (laughs) I mean, the actress is great, but also her character itself is I'm a sucker for misfits. I'm a sucker for misfits during a time like the fifties where a misfit really was a fucking misfit. (laughs) And so she just just does really well at not giving a shit that these yuppies wanna just use her stage as a hobby essentially, <laughs> um so yeah, I gotta go with Susie
0: finish us off
1: as the chosen person of this of this petard crew as the Jewish member of our little trio. um, this pilot was hella fucking Jewish in the best ways, like. The, the New York of this pilot is like the direct predecessor to Seinfeld. Um, and all the cool little inside jokes. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but there were so many jokes that, um, if you even have like a vague knowledge of like Judaism or like even like Jewish life or Yiddish, it was so funny. There was a funny Holocaust joke. Did you guys catch it?
2: When she's giving her speech to everyone and something about the Jews have been through enough in the past year, few years or whatever.
1: Yeah, that was, that was an okay Holocaust joke, but when they're ripping on the rabbi for, um, for not coming to their house, and then he's, and then they're like, be nice. He was in Buchenwald. And then they say it really fast. And I was like, I laughed pretty hard. I was like,
2: throw him a bone, throw him a bone. That's what she said.
1: And I was like, Oh, yay, Holocaust joke, but very tastefully done. So I, I loved the ambiance of pervasive New York Jewishness, which is what most people think of when they think of Jewish people. Um, not me when I grew up in the South in North Carolina, but still like <laughs> all my friends, their basis for knowing Judaism was Seinfeld. So <laughs> watching this show made me feel all nostalgic for a Judaism I never actually knew, but everyone thinks that I understand, which I guess I do.
2: <laughs> you can still identify with it. Yeah, I loved it. You can cut this out, Jimbo, because it's probably a spoiler, but I loved when she told, when she made the joke that the shrimp was still in the egg rolls.
0: <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right off the bat.
2: Yeah. It's just like. <laughs> Whoa, she's funny.
0: <laughs> all right, well, let's move on. The chosen people chose chose a good show here. They did. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to move into the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for. Is Drew going to watch this show? Am I going to rewatch this show? And is Mo going to watch this show?
1: Whew. Um, possibly. This is a strong possibility. I said I was going to watch Pose. Um, I have not watched Pose yet. You know, we make conscious decisions. I want to watch this show, but in all probability, I might watch like more Rick and Morty that I've already seen. Uh, South Park is out. It's new. And YouTube is always just showing me clips from
0: superhero movies. So God, that is sad, man. It's so sad. We're going to come back to this later. (laughs) Someone sounds judgy AF. Now, Drew, you have to watch the second episode of either Pose or Maisel tomorrow. What's it going to be? Pose. All right, Mo, what's it going to be?
2: I had to I watched this pilot with my dad and he immediately wanted to watch the second episode. And I'm like, I don't like to watch the second one when I work, you know, for the purposes of the show, because you know how I get.
1: Unless it's lost. And then you watch all (laughs) the seven
2: seasons. (laughs) He went ahead and like binged it last night, I think, after I went to bed. Like he watched way more. (laughs) Nice. I would like to catch up to him. So, yeah, long story short, yes, I definitely want to watch the next episode and be ready for the next season. Cause it seems funny. And I will say that the, the Emmy wins persuaded me to watch it more. You know, that gets.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to rewatch. I am anticipating season two. I love season one. In case you couldn't tell. I, I mean, as I mentioned, I, I blazed through it. I would say Maisel and killing Eve are the two best seasons or actually the only shows I've actually watched the whole season for since we started.
1: End of the fucking world.
0: Oh no! Into the effing world, yes, but unlike into the effing world, this this full see these full seasons are extremely solid.
1: So hoistlers, we're going to get to the uh,
0: you know what we're going to say.
1: Um, this is the moment you've been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist. If we hoist a show, it has fallen upon its own petard, exploded, and been destroyed. And if we're not hoisting it, it's a good pilot, and you should watch it. So on the count of three, do you guys want to say it? One, two, three. Not, not hoist. hoisting. Unanimous consent
0: Yep, and so let's move on, part two We're going to spoil everything in this section
1: We will spoil everything in this section, that's true
0: (laughs) Part two is our filmic analysis and interpretation We're going to stay inside the pilot And we're going to talk about all the spoilers That Moe's just been biting her lip on And we're going to start off with our Crabman Award Hey girl, hey Crabman for any new listeners, our Crab Man is for a character with a very small role that contributes and gives way more than they take, usually has a huge impact with very little screen time. I'm I'm probably pressing my luck with my Crab Woman not nominee, but I think Penny Pam is, is very Crab worthy if she qualifies.
2: I think she does.
1: To refresh my memory on Penny, Penny Pam.
0: Penny Pam is a secretary... Oh, God. That nice. can't sharpen a pencil yeah. and that Joel leaves his uh, midge for. She's funny. She's funny. She's mentioned a lot by name, but she's not in the pilot for more than maybe five seconds or something.
2: And she's worn her shirt. She's seen her with her shirt yeah, inside out twice. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, it's a good name. Penny Pam.
0: Oh, it's such a great name.
2: And it was a big part of her bit when she goes to the club.
1: Well, yeah, I was like, is is she a crab woman or I think, I think, you know, Midge does a lot of the lifting on that character, but I mean, her, her two seconds are fun and that, that pays off later.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a big contribution with almost no screen time.
1: I have a similar character with very little screen time who tells a lot about the characters. Um, Midge's baby daughter and her (laughs) forehead. I love how Midge or Miss Maisel and her mom taking the baby out and examining her face is really funny. Um, Like, they're so obsessed with it and it like shows you like it's where it pulls the show into like either satire or near satire and you just learn a lot about like how kind of you know satirical it was being like that 1950s housewife you know that this is what she was incredibly worried about you know she's like no her face is gonna be fine and it also struck me as funny because my daughter is getting older and she has little like hillbilly teeth little stub teeth (laughs) and it's fun to make fun of her you know so like i just think it's funny to like to make fun of Babies and small <laughs> children for being funny looking, whereas like Miss Mazel and her mom were like genuinely concerned and were like, "Don't worry,
0: she'll get bangs. Bangs will help." And like her daughter is probably nine months old. And another uh, the forehead joke is also another another Gilmore Girls joke as well. I guess Amy Sherman has a thing for foreheads. Probably some real thing that was going on within her family.
2: That's probably why she picked those two lead actresses because they both have pretty like strong foreheads wait part of that scene too that she's the mom said that was funny was along the lines of life's just easier when you're pretty
0: yes
1: yeah oh my god that was so funny i love that whole exchange.
2: scene with the baby and how obsessed they are already at that young of an age when mazel's measuring her ankle and her thighs and she says she's done this every day for 10 years what a sad life and her mom totally put that on her and now she's gonna put that on her daughter
0: putting it on that daughter. We are gonna come back to this stay tuned hoisters.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is this could be dangled, but it's more telling of everything and not just the quick one liner joke. It really is a dynamic.
0: Alright Mo hit hit us with yours.
2: I mean I kinda just picked one because I, I I did I picked mine last and I liked both of yours.
0: Come to my side Mo. Um
2: but I'm gonna throw mine out there just for fun which is the dude
0: We don't need to do things for fun man. We you know we're on a time schedule here. You can just join me, Mo. Come to Penny Pam, man. She has such a no, cool name. No, I would definitely
2: pick the baby over Penny Pam. i picked pick the baby.
1: Jimbo, you can join us. You can be in- make it
0: unanimous, Jimbo. No, no, no. I'm sticking with my girl Penny, man.
1: All right. By vast majority, the crab man of war <laughs> goes to a crab baby with a huge forehead. Poor baby, Nice.
0: All right. So now the moment Mo has been waiting for. Spoiler zone, big time. We're going to dive into the literary and filmic. Plot, character analysis, all that good stuff. Why don't you start us off, Mo?
2: So the pilot was strong and it was funny and it was pretty cutting edge and insightful as to what 1958 would be for a rich Jewish girl in New York. But at the end, when she flashes the whole crowd at some scummy, sticky bar in the village, I just, it took a turn. It really like elevated my, the likelihood of me watching the next episode and I just thought it was really, and she has great tits, by the way.
0: Oh yeah, great tits. Yeah, yeah. yeah very yeah. shallow, shallow point, but yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Also, if she had two, if she had two kids.
2: Well, she measures herself every day for ten years.
0: And she, she, she curls soup
1: cans.
2: But even did you notice too when the cops come in to arrest her, the announcement that it's for cabaret laws? That law was actually just removed out of New York City like last year. There's like a whole movement behind it.
0: Is that that specifically for show for women showing showing the breast?
2: Just showing her breast was indecent exposure. But then the cabaret violation was makes it illegal to host musical entertainment, singing, dancing, or other form of amusement without a license. So just having spontaneous things like that, like I don't know, live music or whatever, is illegal without getting a license for it. So there you go. Like it's some super antiquated law that somehow was managed to stay in the books in new york for this many years but i just remember getting emails like vote down the cabaret laws
0: and the reason she's taken away is because she's using foul language as well which at this time you're not allowed to like use foul language in public either
2: (laughs) so ridiculous well probably as a woman worse so just great scene all around i love nudity
1: that was a really cool scene you know like that's kind of like that's an impressive acting scene. She has to nail it. Like that's like the pivot of the entire show. It's like this is like where we move from exposition to this is the show. And she does a great job. You're right. And the nudity is not bad. <laughs> Jimbo, what you got?
0: I have I have a few, as always, but uh the first one the you know, the first one I want to bring up is is Midge goes and bails out Leonard, who is a famous comedian from jail and she, she goes there because she wants to know like the insights of like a career in, in comedy. She's actually taking this you know this idea serious. And he, he tells her it's a terrible, terrible job. And he says that he would rather do anything else to make a living. And then he walks away and Midge says, quote, yeah, he loves it. And so that's kind of like her 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 gateway into like this is gonna be my
2: my passion.
0: You know, my new goal in life. Yeah. That I hate. Yeah, her <laughs> new passion.
2: Which can also double with what her husband said about his job.
1: Now, I would say this, because I kind of want to jump in what Jimbo is saying. Um, so that guy is Lenny Bruce, who's like a very, very famous um, countercultural kind of beatnik comedian. Um, so my question is. Not famous enough for me
0: in Modena. I didn't
2: know him, yeah.
0: No, yeah, well. <laughs> read a book. <laughs> oh yeah which one <laughs> lots of them
2: he's a writer or a comedian or both
1: both he's a satirist too he wrote he's an essayist he's
2: what'd you say his name is
1: lenny bruce he's mm, kind of a big deal so i mean even if he's an obscure historical figure like how do you guys feel about like historical figures in fiction like i kind of think it's fun to see them but then i'm always kind of disappointed by the performance you know or I'm like i know who that is i feel smart um but then by the end of the show I'm generally kind of not into it. I liked this. I thought this was a very cool use of um someone with some name recognition.
2: I always love that Drew. I think it's cool. It gives a better context to the time and to the culture and to what's going on.
0: How much how much did it actually add to the storytelling? I mean like was was he doing some lifting for for any aspect of the plot or or other characters? Because to me he was just a guy. I it, it added nothing to me that he actually was a famous person that I'd never heard of.
2: He had a little stand up part, right?
0: He did, but like him being famous didn't impact my interpretation of anything. I think I agree with what Mo said,
1: that it kind of grounds it in a certain era. Um, if you were aware of who he was, um, which I think some people who might be the target demographic of like a period piece comedy on a prestige streaming network would get. Um, I just kind of feel like there's like a backlash against Forrest Gump, which is lots and lots of historic figures in a fictional context. Cause like, I feel like everyone hates Forrest Gump now.
0: What? I don't know anyone that hates Forrest Gump. It's a hot take on the internet. Oh my God. People on the internet are stupid, dude. (laughs) See, this is why Twitter is so bad. This is why we should never let Twitter sponsor our show. Okay. (laughs) You have five idiots on Twitter can make a big stink. And next thing you know, Forrest Gump is no longer a good movie. This I'm, I'm pissed off.
2: What's wrong with Forrest Gump?
0: Uh, I read it on The Ringer. Mostly people feel like it hasn't aged well and that Pulp Fiction should have
1: won an Oscar, but that's kind of an arbitrary idea.
2: So are losers.
1: Yeah, whatever. Pulp Fiction,
0: not a,
2: who cares?
1: Reservoir Dogs is a better movie.
2: Reservoir Dogs is a better movie. I
0: have, I have another one that that we definitely need to talk about. Actually, I actually have two more. But Midge's morning routine is absolutely ridiculous. And maybe this might actually lead us into a dangling thread as well, but how much work she goes through just to be a perfect woman is nuts.
2: It's not fair.
1: <laughs> that's where I think the show is very cool in terms of like straddling that line of satire and like, you know, is this like a real kind of dramedy because everything that is like crazy and a little bit funny is just within reach of reality. Like this show never gets full on crazy, just gets a little bit crazy. And that's like one of the best examples. You're like, did this happen? And you're like, Maybe, probably with like a couple people, or maybe some people did like one aspect of this, but that was awesome. Like that was very funny and satirical.
2: I would just thought it was really clever, even the little detail when she pulls up the shade so it'll shine on her face and she knows exactly when to get up.
0: I also thought it was very clever. And the reason I thought it was clever is because I see more like behind the scenes to like leave it to Beaver and a couple of those other fifty shows that I don't know the titles to. But this is what a woman would have to do in order to be like the 50s women from TV. And so that's that's why I love the satire. It's like it's like they're actually showing you how this woman can be so perfect. She's meticulous about the size of her ankles, her calves, her waist, her everything. I mean, the parents are on them when they're a child measuring their their <laughs> foreheads and they wake up early and they prep themselves before they go to bed and it's all this big big facade just to keep their their husbands in in the dark about the reality of being a woman. And it's just that's why I think it's so hilarious because obviously I don't think any women really did this. I think it's just what women on TV would have had to do to be the women that women on TV are. I'd be interested to see whether or not women actually did this. Which parts? A lot of the parts. Maybe measuring themselves. You think women actually get up and do their makeup and then go back to bed?
2: I wouldn't be surprised. Or they just get up early and do their makeup and go make breakfast.
0: Yeah, definitely get
1: up early. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think, too, it's a really good character defining moment because it's like over the course of the episode, like we do see that like Midge is funnier than Joel. Midge is smarter than Joel. Midge is kind of a better person in some ways than Joel. And I think it's like both a clever and satirical moment. And then it's also
0: like funny character building. And this this also goes into our Joel development. Imagine being a man in the 50s and your wife is better than (laughs) you at everything. You might go looking for the dumb secretary that's name is even dumber than her, Penny Pam.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that just the the weak male ego during that time. Like, women had to prop up men, and that was their entire duty, is to just prop their husbands up. I mean, she went down, down to taking notes on his crappy com- com- comedian stand-up set or whatever, the, his stand-up. She counted the laughs and took notes and gave him feedback and had her own journal of jokes that she wrote that she was willing to give him.
0: Yeah, good feedback too. Solid feedback. Hoisters, this is the feedback we're looking for on the Pilots and Petards podcast. So if, give us, you know, send us some of those those notes in your diary.
1: <laughs> and then also, like,
0: it's she's giving good feedback. Those, those are good shit
1: sandwiches.
2: And if he didn't leave her, then she would just have, well, and assuming she goes on to become this amazing, talented, successful comedian, independent and all. But if he doesn't leave her, then she probably would just be stuck being his housewife and chef and mother to his children and you know all of these really shallow expectations for her. So I'm glad she left. Lo- he left her.
0: Yeah, and we, you know, let's let's come back to this as well because this this is also adding to uh, the story as well in the context of 1950s. All right, last thing. Let's and this is directly related to to the story. I think it's interesting the phoniness between Midge and Joel. Because Midge is, Midge is phony in a way, you know, she's, she's, and then, but Joel is like a different type of phony, man. He is like maybe the worst type of phony. He's a fake and a hack. And so do we want to talk about their, their phoniness and maybe how they contrast? I would define it as like Midge is a benevolent phony.
1: Okay. I like that. All of her phoniness is for good things. Like she makes a brisket and lies to get her husband an earlier time slot. She she does all her makeup to try and make her husband happy. Like it kind of seems like all of her phoniness is to help other people and make people feel good. Whereas a lot of Joel's phoniness just is
0: kind of selfish.
2: What does Joel act phony per se?
0: When he steals the other guy's routine. And just like everything, you know, like his sweatshirt, he's even, he's even phony into the fact that he's not honest about how he wants to have a career in comedy. Like it's just, everything about him is phony, which is developed very well throughout the pilot. I'd have to say.
2: well that i mean the fact that i had to ask like what what about the his character was developed as phony came off as quick one-liners when they tried to establish him as a person i don't know it, it just fed off of mitch a lot i guess like with the sweaters
0: yeah i mean well she's the focal point but i think he is developed well um i i think drew saying he's not defined well is maybe a more accurate criticism but i think he does his job and I I really relate with him as as a character and just hating life. And we can maybe come back to this in in the dangling threads and maybe get outside the pilot. Because I think as far as uh for inside the pilot, I'm I'm good at this point. Yeah, I'm good on the pilot, Mo. Yep. Well,
1: the last thing we do with these pilots is we jump into Mo's favorite section, which is the quest for the best or the worst pilot.
2: Put it anywhere.
1: Yep. So uh, we've talked a little bit about the range for this pilot. I think that this one is better than My Name is Earl, but Mo hasn't watched that yet. So, Mo, the question for you is Is this better or worse than The Wonder Years?
2: Better.
0: I agree.
1: All right, so that pushes up a bit. And, Jimbo, are you saying this is better or worse than X Men?
0: Better than X Men.
1: I'm down for that. Now, Jimbo, sell me on My Name is Earl being better in less than 30 seconds because I'm the only person who likes this segment. A lot of people don't.
0: Earl is a little tighter pilot and. I just love Earl, man. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's complete biased. It's, it's probably a nobo talking, but, but I love Earl's journey, man. I love him wanting to be a better person. And I think, I think Earl, for what it is, for the show being what it is, is better than what Maisel is supposed to be. Obviously they're different genres. I going
1: to be the arbiter on this one, because I'm going to pitch higher than Earl and Mo hasn't seen it, but it's okay. She'll just
0: listen to our arguments. Thanks for telling me this after I give my argument, though. Nice one.
1: Do you want to add something? No. Scam. There you go. So I'll go my 30 seconds in. Um, I think they're both funny shows that are pretty exposition heavy, a little bit light on the content. I would say that I think that the supporting cast of Miss Maisel is better, you know, in terms of like five or six very funny people as opposed to one or two. My name is Earl. And I also think it like shoots a little bit higher. You know, I think that you know, my name is Earl is a little bit more in the mold of that classic sitcom, and Miss Maisel is doing something more. So I want to give it that. Also, Miss Maisel has nudity, and Earl doesn't.
2: I have to. Well, I mean, the only reason I want to pick Maisel is because it's about like women. The protagonist is a woman.
0: All right. Well, we heard it there. It's going above Earl. So I think <laughs> I think that means it breaks the top ten, right? No, that makes it the new number twelve. Part three. Mm-hmm. This is where we're going to finally step outside of the pilot. And this pilot episode has so much to step out of because there's a lot going on with the whole feminist issues and the 50s issues. And so we are going to welcome to the stage
2: Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest.
0: Drew can maybe give us any stormy news first, but this is where... We take any of the themes that we especially enjoyed from the, sh- the show, and we're going to connect them either to our own lives or the world in general or something, obviously, outside the pilot.
1: Uh, Stormy Daniels' uh, biography and account of her affair with President Trump is coming out soon, and excerpts are available in various news media. That is your Stormy Daniels update.
0: So, as I said, we've, we've already kind of talked about it a couple. Uh, do we want to dive into being a housewife or... Do you want to dive into hating your life and job? Which one are we thinking here?
2: I like the housewife one better, even though we kind of dove into it already.
0: Yeah, let's. OK, so let's so let's uh, finish finish with with the housewives. There's a lot to say. Let me um I I did a little bit of research and being re- being re- really skinny as a show. You know, she has she does all these crazy things. She measures herself, obviously being perfect was a really important aspect of being a housewife. The average waist in the 50s was a 23-inch waist for women.
2: 23?
0: And in the 50s is when diet pills start really popping and booming. So, I mean, like, being skinny and pretty is is definitely a 50s thing.
1: Um, Tori's grandmother totally popped diet pills when she was pregnant with the second two kids because no one said there was anything wrong with that. And by the way, um, those two kids are very successful.
0: If you want successful kids, take diet pills during pregnancy. We got a two-person study.
2: Or meth.
0: Take 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 speed in meth. Now, take it in the pill form because smoking it might might harm the kid. Yeah. Come on.
1: <laughs> you know, Jimbo, there was a phrase you used. I can't remember how many episodes ago it was, but it was really awesome where like you talked about – I think you, you called it like unpaid labor.
0: Unpaid labor. Oh, yes. We could definitely talk about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, like, I keep coming back to that because – Like, that is such an interesting and cool idea in terms of, like, offsetting costs and, like, people thinking that, like, you know, Maisel didn't or Miss Maisel didn't do anything or, like, housewives don't do anything. But, like, you're right. I mean, it's unpaid labor because they're offsetting, like, the cost of someone else doing that or of, like, the time, like, saved. So I think that, you know, even though, like, back in the day people might have gotten dinged for being a house spouse, you know, um, I think it's cool that we now have a term and we add value to that idea in 2018 as opposed to. You know, it kind of seems like Joel definitely thought that he was superior to his housewife wife.
0: We could double check the exact figures, but it's something like probably 50 something hours a week. Women in the 50s are doing unpaid labor, house chores, you know, housework. And then I think something crazy too, like three hours a day in the kitchen. Fuck that. No air conditioning. No microwave.
2: (laughs) Making a brisket in one day. She made that brisket like in a few hours. Her turnaround time was incredible. (laughs) The investment that her dad made to put her into school and the return on that investment isn't even like to get a job and to be successful. It was just to find a man who wasn't weak. (laughs) That's crazy to me. But that was so commonplace. And I mean, maybe that's a different circumstance because it seems like they are pretty wealthy, but.
0: Well, to maybe dive back into part part two, barely. Yeah, she she married down. She kind of failed her, her father in old Joel.
2: It seems like a lot of the financials are handled by her parents. Or maybe his parents are rich and we don't know yet.
0: He seems to have like some kind of like white collar job. He has a nice job but I mean the guy's a loser. Like she didn't marry up. Like they're already a elite family. I mean in in if you watch the series, you know, you'll kind of see why. But uh the whole thing that Mo was saying about like your your job is to marry, like that's that's still an historical thing even in the 1950s. I mean inter... Traditionally, like if you go back and read *Pride and Prejudice*, that's that—that's your goal in life to marry up. And even in the '50s, we're still at the tail end of of, ma- of you know of a woman's job is to marry well. Well, I kind of
1: like Moe's dangling thread. Maybe we're wandering over to it because
0: we are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought we were.
1: Um, because I I grew up in the South, and then I also went to college in the South, and it freaked me out because there is you're saying in the 1950s there are still a lot of people who like go to college and they get married very early. And I I should have done some statistical research on this, but it feels like a lot more people in the South get married and I'm kind of happy they're getting divorced now. I can anecdotally say that I have a few friends who <laughs> got married, you know, like in their mid 20s, like 24, 25, 26, and they've gotten divorced and I'm like, that's fine, you know, like you should be happy. Like maybe you're not the person you're going to be for the rest of your life at 24 and 25, but if society is trying to tell you that you have to do things a certain way, like I have friends who are still married and who are happily married, um, who got married at like 24, 25, 26 to someone they met in college. And, um, I was not a very super viable, uh, husband material in college. So maybe I just got passed (laughs) by,
2: by all
0: the debutantes.
2: It's a thing still. You're right. Ring before spring.
0: So freaky. And any young listeners, it's so stupid. Uh, to, you know, postpone marriage as long as you can. You'll you'll have a way better chance of succeeding till death do you part.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I love the advice and the fact that we do have some of my students listening to this show. I hope we change your
0: lives <laughs> for the better. They're going to learn a lot, man. They should <laughs> give them good life advice here. They're going to appreciate a, a a good and bad pilot for sure. <laughs> OK, well, we we have to talk about about. um. Joel and bullshit jobs and hating your life. So we're not gonna worry too much about Joel, but uh but I relate so much with just kinda n- hating what what you're doing in life.
2: <laughs>
0: <You> really- <laughs> I mean my question is who does it?
2: Work is always gonna be work.
1: Yeah. Work sucks. I mean work fucking sucks.
2: You can't love it a hundred percent of the time.
0: And I feel like that's a fallacy.
2: Unless you're like princess
0: unless you're nobody man yeah i think what uh drew was trying to say was that off mic about the menial yeah we were talking
1: about like menial i think there's like menialness of like just jobs and like a repetitive tasks and day-to-day life like i think that's the struggle not in finding a job that like gives you like this deep-seated like meaning like ah uh, like choir singing every time like you get in your car to go to work like i am very personally fulfilled by my career path by the choices i've made by the job i'm in now and shit still sucks sometimes
0: Yeah, but that doesn't make it menial. Just because it sucks sometimes doesn't make it menial. That
1: totally makes it menial because I'm really upset and bored with like the small, repetitive, menial tasks that I'm tired of doing that I do anyway because they're part of my job, man. And I do a lot of menial tasks. I am a public school teacher. I have a fuck ton of menial tasks. More than grading.
0: You should step into my world, dude. You should check people's tickets and operate an (laughs) elevator.
1: Dude, I'm pretty sure that some of the menial tasks I do are similar to checking people's tickets because it's repetitive. It's mindless. I'd rather be doing something else. And it takes for me, like sometimes it's harder because it's taking me longer to do shit that I could conceivably do in 20 minutes, but I just hate fucking doing it. And so it takes 40 minutes because I'm playing on my phone or I'm doing something else or like I'm just not I can't commit my whole thing to it. Dude, I do. I hate it. But it's an aspect of my life to get to like things I enjoy more. And I think that's kind of work.
2: No, no, that's fine. It's sub- It's super subjective, though. Like, have you been at Disneyland lately, Jimbo? Like, people collecting tickets and sweeping up trash are fucking stoked.
0: Well, they probably pay their their menial workers well.
2: I don't think they do actually.
0: They're not known for it.
2: Someone's personality that likes to meet people all the time. Yeah, it might seem menial to you to. We're saying that word so many times, but something that's a like low skilled task might seem that way to you, but someone who just loves to meet people and say hi and greet people and doesn't get tired, they would love that job.
0: I i agree with what Drew's saying, but I don't think Drew thinks he has a meaningless job. Joel has a bullshit job. He knows his job is bullshit and he sees through all that. Like that's the difference. Like I think there's there's a high percentage. In fact it's in, you know, I'm gonna jump the gun on the petardar, uh, but there's an awesome hidden brain podcast episode called BS Jobs. And there's like 33% or uh, I can't recall the exact data, but a lot of people know that if they didn't go to work tomorrow, like things would function just fine without them. Like there's so many jobs that just get created. And then you just kind of, once a job's created, you never, you never get rid of it. And there's just so many meaningless jobs where you literally don't do anything.
1: I, that, I mean, I'll listen to that podcast, but the thing is my belief on that is like, I don't think there are meaningless jobs because I think we live in an interconnected society, dude. Yes, we do. Like, who's getting paid by a company that wants to make a profit for something that they couldn't automate or pay someone less to do? A lot of people, dude. Then I'll listen to that podcast and I'll see it. But, I mean, if you yourself think that your job is meaningless, like, that seems to be a subjective idea. But, I mean, I'm not growing food. I need to go buy food at a Target because – I do not have those skills and I want to have those things. So the thing is, if, yeah, if a whole bunch of people who work at Target who feel like they may be meaningless cogs in a machine, yes, if they themselves like walked away from that job and they didn't refill it, it would affect my life because I wouldn't be able to conveniently go do something and get something so I could go have more time like with my family or have more time to do the things that I do enjoy. So I I think that in an interconnected society like we have. I don't believe like what you're saying because I think that yeah, if one person quits their job, it doesn't have
0: an issue. But if everyone quit that job, it would affect more than just those people. Thank you, Drew. You have you have just identified non bullshit jobs, so congratulations, sir. What's an example? What's an ex- What's an example from the podcast? Let's say you have like an apartment complex, and you have one guy's job is to like repair AC units, and all of a sudden, like you have all these broken AC units. So in- instead, you have a person that coordinates. The AC units. If it's the middle of summer and your AC unit is broken, that person's job is probably important to you. Okay, but you could just hire a second person to fix AC units. You don't have to hire someone to manage the one person that is has like way too much shit to do. But, the, dude, listen to the podcast, Hoisters. Don't don't listen to Drew. Okay, <laughs> well, Jimbo, come up with a better example than the one I just shot down. Well, for one, I didn't know that that you thought every single job in the world was so meaningful. Dude, get. Work for the government, man. The oh, Supervisors. There's so many supervisors. You have supervisors that supervise supervisors. Dude, those guys' jobs are meaningless. They don't have to show up. There's so many people that, like I just mentioned, I operate an elevator at work. Elevators can be operated by themselves. Bullshit job. That's completely meaningless.
2: <laughs> I mean,
0: you know, unless you're differently abled and you need someone to help you. No, that's not what I do. I just tell people to wait, and I count them as they come in to make sure that there's not too many people in there. I mean, it's not – I'm not, like, helping a blind person in the elevator. And if there were too many people, it would, like, plummet to the bottom and people would die? All over the world, elevators are operated by people visiting the hotel. Like, for instance, we were just at a fancy hotel. There was not a person operating the elevator. We did it ourselves. (laughs) That seems subjective, but
1: okay. And I mean, from my point of view, like – Dude, you're a person there who's helpful, and you can answer questions, and... Yeah, I can answer questions anyways. Mo, get in there. Jump in
0: the middle, Mo. Yeah, Mo, come on, dude. Mo's about to have a bullshit job.
2: I, well, I'm letting you guys go back and forth a little bit, but, I mean, I kind of have to side with Jimbo on this one.
1: Yeah. Bet you won't cut that.
2: (laughs) There are meaningless jobs. There are jobs that are just designed to get somebody in office, and they created jobs that made them look like they cared about people and they're still there and they just are money suck. it's true i mean how many stories especially with this new 45 in office so many people so many like stories come up of government employees being caught sleeping on their desk like five hours out of the day
1: (laughs) i mean i'm thinking more about the furloughed diplomats in the state department who yeah um, people who've been working in the foreign service are kind of freaked out that senior positions are not being filled because of this idea that people hate government largesse. Like how much of that is cynicism and how much of that is like anecdotal data?
2: Yeah. I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, Drew. I'm, I'm a little cynical today, so maybe that's why I <laughs> have diarrhea and it's just annoying. Um, but anyway, side notes, the listeners, I think there's truth in the fact that not everyone's job has a meaningful purpose. I'll leave it at that and I won't make
0: it political. Yeah. And then it's, and so, like, another example on the podcast was you have, you have an engineer that's hired, and then at the moment, he doesn't have any engineering tasks. So instead, you make up a new title or billet for him to do because it's not okay for him to just sit there and do nothing. And so now all of a sudden, you have like an engineer with, with this other additional task that's been made up to keep him busy. And now all of a sudden, like, that, that just kind of stays in the,
2: the organizational chart.
0: Yes, the organizational chart. And so I think there's dude, there's, a, there's, a lot of those. I I mean, I'll listen to the
1: episode. I mean, it sounds like a lot of things, but I mean, I wouldn't say that's the majority. I wouldn't say that's an issue. I think that like a lot of jobs that... It's office space, man. Well, okay. But I mean, dude, at office space, they were like sending stuff out like they were selling a product. I don't know. I just feel like people kind of shit on like nine to five. And I did pull out um a, a quote that I like from a movie. I think it's very cool. This is from the movie The Bronx Tale. And this is when the father is like talking to the son after he's like pulling him out of the gangster life and trying to show him that like hard work matters and that like even menial jobs matter. So Lorenzo says to his son, He's wrong. It don't take much strength to pull a trigger, but try getting up every morning, day after day, and work for a living. Let's see him try that. Then we'll see who the real tough guy is. The working man is the tough guy. Your father is the tough guy. That's the end of the quote. And so I think that's the thing. Like a lot of people do get down about their jobs. And Joel in particular, I think gets this ennui that, like, I feel like a lot of people get. I think there's a little bit of, like, cynicism and arrogance in the idea that, you know, some people are better than their jobs or some people have higher aspirations, when I feel like that's everyone. I feel like a lot of people wish they had a job with fewer responsibilities, more freedom, and, you know, more time to themselves, but I feel like even if they got that job, it would become
0: work, and work sucks.
2: That's a good quote. It's a great movie. it's That's more of a quote, though, on, like, on work ethic.
0: Yeah, I- I don't think that's what I'm talking about.
1: That's what I'm perceiving from Joel. I don't perceive that Joel is a stymied, creative like genius. I think he's lazy. So, I mean, I don't identify or I don't identify with him because I think that if he was a full-time comedian, he would still be lazy and hate it. And he says he doesn't know what his job is, so, I mean, he could be doing better. Like, if he tried to figure out what his job actually is, I bet you he'd be better
0: at it. (laughs) Yeah, I think it plays into what I was saying. Subjective. Dangled. This transitions as well from uh, Drew's, Drew's quote, but uh, in the in the episode and it kind of flashes back to last week uh, with Blanca, but no one wants to be insignificant. and that's and that's kind of a sentiment that that Susie and Joel both have. and maybe that goes back to to that to that Lorenzo quote as well. And I think and maybe that's what we're all kind of getting at in one way or another.
1: Well, let me bring up an extremely dangly threat, which maybe we won't get into, but I'm I'm in a I'm in a men's dinner group. It's not misogynistic. It is called humanities with a man in the middle, um, club? capitalized. We already went over this. Yes, we have shouted on the show before. And the thing is, one of the topics that we talked about one night is just this idea of like gender roles and identity that a lot of men tend to think of themselves as their career. You know, like I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm this, I'm that. Whereas like, um, at least in like kind of the more gendered like areas of our society um, We think of women as a as a mother, as a sister, as a daughter, as a grandmother. And so I don't know how much of like Joel's frustration comes from people conflating their job with their identity. What do you think about that?
2: That might be true. The whole pressure to provide.
0: I don't know the answer to your question, but I hate that. It's just when like, what do you do like that? You, you meet someone you don't know. And the first thing they ask you is, what do you do? And the first thing I want to say is like, I don't care to talk to you. <laughs> yeah so i mean i
1: think that's also feeding into like joel's like on you know like he feels trapped because i think too much of his identity is wrapped up in you know his role as like some office drone where he wants to be a stand-up comedian whereas like maybe if he invested in his family more you know or invested in his relationship with miss Maisel as opposed to penny pam you know he might have more self-worth i don't know like i'm kind of really wrapped up in like my identity as a teacher and like i think having Children has helped me step back, and I've tried to define myself in more different ways. Being a
0: podcaster, for
1: example, is very fulfilling for me.
0: Yeah, and you're doing doing unpaid labor for fun. (laughs) It's very fun.
2: There is a fine line, but I do believe in the quote of, do something you love and you won't work a day of your life. I think there's major truth to that also.
0: But is that a reality that everyone can... No. Yeah, can achieve, sorry. Yeah, I think that leads to the unhappiness of like people thinking
1: that like they're not fulfilling their life's duty and like I I mean I don't want to get like mega existential, but like no one's gonna remember any of this in ten thousand years. So I mean you could just do something that makes yourself happy and it doesn't have to be your job. Like you could just provide for your family, make that a segment of your life, and then another segment could be for your family, for your own self worth and happiness. And then people wouldn't go up to Jimbo and ask him what he did. They would say, Jimbo, what makes you happy? That'd be cool. We should all do that for the next week. People will think we're mega strange when someone instead of asking someone like, you know, what they do the next time you meet someone be like, Hey, what makes you happy?
2: Have you ever been to a networking event? Yes. God Jimbo, you would literally like massacre everyone and then massacre yourself. It's horrible. If you if you don't like that kind of talk, I mean I personally had to get okay with it and learn how to turn it on and off. But it's annoying.
0: So so you're like speed dating small talk?
2: you're like speed dating people and getting to know them mostly to see if they can like get you a job or like network to put a potential job or.
0: Yeah. At least there's a goal, I guess in it versus just some idiot that you happen to be standing next to in public.
2: Yeah. What if there was a networking event for podcasters? No, thanks. (laughs) Would you not want to go and meet podcast people and talk to them about what they do?
0: No, 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 no.
2: Oh, Mo, we've we've
1: done quite a bit of networking with.
0: Yes, we've been people. networking
1: I know, I
2: know a lot. I know you guys tried, but I I know I know you guys did do a lot. Is that why we hate crooked media?
1: No, I think we, no, they think just, it's suck. just funny. Yeah, yeah, they also just suck. But no, I think, <laughs> I think I think I think Jimbo and I, I probably networked with like twenty five to thirty podcasts at least. I probably did too. Yeah, I've come away with like two podcasts and two podcasting networks where
0: I like the show and I like the people. Bunch of circle jerks, man. You just have people jerking each other off just for a five star rating.
2: Oh, uh, right, right.
1: <laughs> people people labeling their iTunes review, don't be petarded, and then getting pissed off when A, you ask them not to make that joke. Yeah. And B, when you ask them to go back and edit it, they just take <laughs> it the fuck off. So, whatever. Fuck you, So Wizard Podcast. I know you all
0: listen to us. <laughs> well, maybe we should add them to our feud list.
2: I mean, guys, there are people that. Podcasts that get paid a shit ton of money.
1: They're called Joe Rogan. I mean, The Read is one, but I mean, Mark Marin. Mark Marin, yeah. (laughs) And I mean, The Read, those guys make some money and they've done really good networking. But I mean, Mo, like, there are podcasts that follow 5,000 other indie podcasts and, like, have 5,000 indie podcasts following them. None of those people make money.
2: Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I'm just thinking my friend works in advertising and she just had a Instagram influencer, which I feel like is equally useless, as equally useless as we are and on this podcast, like an Instagram influencer. He got paid.
0: She might make some money, though.
2: He got paid. No, I think it was 80K.
0: I feel like there's
1: more people on Instagram and that the lift is like lower, you know, as opposed to like listening to a podcast like this is going to be 90 ish minutes, you know, like we're a niche thing. And I don't think as many people like listen to podcasts as like, you know, are on Instagram. That's for sure, man.
2: It was like a days of, day worth of work. Well, and then like some content probably created. but
1: That person had to go on The Bachelorette, though, so they did the work, too.
2: <laughs> Guys, this is super dangled.
0: All right, let's get out of here. Petardar, these are recommendations based on our viewing experience of the pilot episode for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And since I'm talking, I'll just uh, roll with it. I already mentioned the Hidden Brain episode on BS Jobs that Drew is going to listen to. I will. I definitely got to give a shout out to Married with Children, our favorite 80s housewife, Peggy Bundy. <laughs> Pleasantville deserves a a uh, shout out as well for a very cool 50s movie. And then I'm going to end it up with, uh, once again, the History Chicks podcast doesn't has an episode on 50s housewives. And you should listen to that if you're interested in in what life was like as a 50s housewife. In
1: Jimbo, I will listen to that podcast cuz like I am being super anecdotal and my point of view centric. So, I'm coming to
0: this agreement with no data. But I'll listen to it and I'll probably still feel the way I
1: feel cuz that's how people are.
0: I wish I would have known you were going to jump on me about it. I would cuz I think it would be very easy to prove if I was if I was prepared.
1: So, I'm hijacking this. We're now going to the Shalubdar Okay, so this is the Tony Shalhoub okay. uh, section of the <laughs> You're
0: just going to run a gauntlet of his performances? Quite a few.
1: Um, Monk is fantastic. Tony Shalhoub, you know, carrying that series for quite a while. Um, I would also jump in to uh, Wings. That's I'm, I'm sure he had acting credits before Wings. Um, in addition, he goes in and he does embrace his um, Lebanese background with The Siege, movie with Denzel. Um, he's one of the best parts of that. And finally, um, there is a really cool Broadway play, which he might actually be done um, being in. But if it comes to your town or if you see it eventually, it's called The Band's Visit. Very, very, very cool play about um, Middle Eastern politics and comedy, which you might not think necessarily go together. But the show got rave reviews and it did win a couple of Tonys.
0: Bo, you got anything to, to toss out there?
2: If you want a very depressing take on 1950s housewife, the book or the movie Revolutionary Road is uh, pretty good. I don't know. Another 1950s genre show, which who doesn't love Mad Men? I think we've had it on the Pajardar before. And I'm um, giving a shout out to House of Cards, even though it's problematic, only because the main actress, the, the woman who plays Miss Maisel, Rachel and I think is her name? She's from House of Cards, and she has a great role in it. Actually,
0: yeah, she she shouldn't get knocked because there's a dirt bag that that acted with her. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's not her fault. Support her. She did a great job. Um, so yeah, so those are mine.
0: Part four. We are moving on. All right. So for part four,
1: um, this is the Petard's trivia portion of the show. Uh, right now Mo is undefeated. Moe is a wrecking ball.
0: No, she's been defeated, but she's our number one contender.
1: Oh, she's our number one contender. I'm sorry, Mo. Um, for the, the victories are so immense that I just i <laughs> it, it erases the defeats. But we're gonna get Mo going up against Jacob soon, and uh, Honest John still still waiting on anything in route.
0: <gasps> in Ooh. route, yep. So thank you to Honest John for finally sending that bling our way.
1: So tonight we have five questions with a six question tiebreaker. Uh, this is a mix of closest answers as well as multiple choice, and I will let you know when it is a multiple choice question. Uh, when we buzz in, Moe's buzzer is going to sound like this. Uh, "Mazel." You've done better, Mo.
2: <laughs>
1: and Jimbo's buzzer is going to sound like this. Joel. <laughs> oh, yes. I like the energy. The first question is a multiple choice question.
0: Now can, now can we can can we call in sooner and answer it if we know it without knowing the the letter? Yes.
1: I will accept the answer or the letter. So the married Paladino producing and directing duo are known for what other fast talking series? Jules. Oh, buzz. Maisel. Wait, wait, Mo, what was that first thing you said? Because you didn't say Mazel.
2: I said Buzz and then Mazel.
1: Oh uh, Jimbo, did you get I think Jimbo got in there.
2: That's dumb. I got in there first.
0: You should have said Mazel. Alright, Jimbo
2: but it's whoever's first
0: should have used your buzzard. that came back to bite one of us a couple weeks ago.
2: All right. Precedent was
0: set. Jimbo Gilmore girls. You are
1: correct. Jimbo jumps out to a one Oh lead.
0: I think I already have like a two or three point lead just based off the, you know, the stuff I was dropping throughout the episode.
2: Yeah. You deserve the point. Anyways, he said earlier,
0: Lenny Bruce,
1: a historical figure who only I know about. Apparently, Dies in 1966. (laughs) Closest answer gets it. What was the cause of Lenny Bruce's death? Be specific. Closest answer gets the point. Go, Mo.
2: Drug overdose. You gonna leave it there? Yeah.
1: Okay. Jimbo, chance to get close or closer?
0: I'm gonna say he died while driving under the influence.
1: Okay, Mo's gonna get the point. This was a drug overdose in a hotel room. Morphine overdose, probably heroin. Phil Spector, that creepy dude who went on to like have a murder trial and have a weird haircut, bought the negatives of the picture of Lenny Bruce dead, naked, splayed with a syringe in his arm and a um, burned up bottle cap next to him. So it was probably heroin. So you're going to think about that when you watch the rest of the uh, season. Next question. This is open ended. All right. So closest answer gets it. Mo- we got- We're all tied up here. One to one. What famous New York cookie was handed out by Midge at the beginning of the episode?
0: Joel. Go. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Black and white. That is correct. That's the black and white cookie.
2: I don't even remember that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got attention to detail, Mo. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. She gives a lady one in the line and then she gives one to the doorman and the very frustrated elevator man. Because apparently all elevator men.
1: So next question, which has two bonus points. The person who gets the question most correct or closest will get first crack at both of the bonus questions. The bonus questions will not be offered to the person who does not get the question right. What college did Midge attend? Maybe. Joel, Oh, get in there.
2: I'm just going to guess Wesleyan.
1: Jimbo, you want to take a crack? Harvard. So here's what I'm going to do. The answer was Bryn Mauer. I don't know where that is. I'm about to <laughs> Google Maps Bryn Mauer and see which college is closer, Wesleyan or Harvard. So Bryn Mauer is in Pennsylvania. So Harvard University is five hours and four minutes via car. I love this. Wesleyan's going to win. Okay, yes, it is in Connecticut. Uh, I believe Lynn manuel Miranda went there too. It is three hours and 29 minutes away. So Mo, you get the point. Now, Mo, you have the possibility of getting up to two bonus points because you got the original point.
0: Man, I almost went with Columbia too. Now, Mo, first first question.
1: On what condiment does the college advertise its name?
0: No is an acceptable answer, Mo. She doesn't know. Let's move on. Can I guess? Yeah, I guess,
1: dude. You should guess if you don't know it. Butter. Yes, you're oh correct. God. It was on the butter. Good job, Mo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mo's pulling out in the lead.
2: I just remember that scene with that girl and they were talking about wanting to eat butter together.
1: Next one. What is the Yiddish word that um, Maisel's, Miss Maisel's father uses to shit on Bryn Mauer College?
2: Is it the word that they used to call white people? Like non-Jewish people?
1: That is the word. Giving you too many hints.
2: I mean, I just don't. I don't. I think it's like a Gavashka or something. I don't remember.
1: Goyim, it's Goyam. But you got one bonus point, but not a second one. So Mo, Mo's ahead three to two. All right. So this one is an open-ended question with the closest answer getting it. This is the last question, unless we need a tiebreaker. The marvelous Miss Maisel was the first show of this type to win an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Se- Comedy Series. Maisel, go. It's not a question. Yes, it is. Miss Mazel was the first show of this type to win an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series. What type?
2: The type that's made by, like, non-off network. Like a streaming.
1: That's your final answer? Yeah. That is correct. It was the first streaming uh, show <laughs> to ever win a comedy.
0: That was the worst question I've, we've yet to hear on Petard Trivia. And I had some really bad questions the first week.
1: I disagree because I'm thinking about some Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> do you wait? Do you guys want to do the last question just for fun? Because nah. it's interesting.
2: Let's do it.
1: I, I researched. Okay, so so good job, Mo. Mo is yeah. To win. This is why Mo's the champ of Petard Trivia. Yeah, because she remembers butter. Okay, <laughs> so the last question, which will not matter. Okay, so the typeface of the title of Maisel is shared by what ninety slash two thousands MTV reality series? Oh, Maisel. A, Okay, go.
2: I think it's I Dream of Genie.
1: That was not a, a oh. 90s or 2000s MTV reality oh, series. Oh,
2: 2000? Oh. Sabrina the Teenage Witch.
1: That was not an MTV reality <laughs> series either. Like, those shows <laughs> are fiction, Mo. No? Like, those things didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So here, here are the chi- – you know what? I didn't say it was multiple choice, so maybe it's on me. <laughs> here are the multiple choice options. Oh. Cribs, My Super Sweet Sixteen. The Osbournes or Next?
2: The Osbournes.
1: It is The Osborns, So the typeface of the titles. And I was like, that's interesting.
2: I didn't really, I totally like overheard or did not listen to the part about it being an MTV reality.
0: This is why Moe's the number one contender.
2: Whatever. Look up the I Dream of Jeannie look, look, like calligraphy and it probably looks, it really does look like it.
1: So Jimbo, you want to take us in? You want to, you want to close this one out?
0: Hoisters, if you can't tell by the plugs, we are about to announce the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a few more minutes. Next week we have a very special episode, Rapid Fire Fall. We are going to tackle 4 to 7 pilots that have premiered within the last couple weeks.
1: We're going to hoist and not hoist in a rapid fire, you know, like a rapid fire mode, and we're going to do a lot of Q for B.
0: Yes, we are going to attempt to try and keep five, five to ten minutes per episode, maybe less. Our intro-outro music was mixed by Jake Drew. You can You can find a link to him in our show notes, and he can make you music. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and or join our Facebook group. Make sure you follow our blog to participate in the pre-recording discussions. And as we already mentioned, feedback. We want your feedback. You owe us for ad-free listening.
1: Yep. Um, we are a featured podcast on the But Why Though com community. Come check us out. They got other cool stuff. Find us on Twitter. Interact with us. We're cool. Oh, and sponsor the show. It doesn't cost a ton of money. Anything to plug, Mo?
2: Mm, you know, I would love to pour beers on the weekends in Seattle. So if anyone's hiring, let me know.
0: All right. Seattle listeners. <laughs> For our faithful hoisters, we are considering doing HBO month, possibly November or December. Loyal listener Fitz is is willing to sponsor a Pilots and Petards HBO account.
2: Ooh,
0: Fitz! Good harvest on the farm. Yep, yep. Good harvest this year for show. All right. So l- last week we had a lot of Peace Corps shop talk. Um, Did anybody respond to that Facebook message? No, and they don't care, I guess. So, it, you know, I use people's names and I, I, I gave them a little reach around. I said, hey, you know, <laughs> if you want, I'll go beep your name out. And they and they remain silent. So no is an answer. <laughs> I mean, no answer is an answer.
1: And apparently having a bunch of Peace Corps, Fofoca and Shop Talk did not attract new Mo's listeners.
0: <laughs> no, it did not increase our downloads at all. So nobody cares about us.
1: No, just the huge, just the huge crowd got us on that group chat. Which apparently I didn't get invited to the Google Hangout of that group chat. It wasn't the last message. Let's take this to Google Hangouts.
0: Yeah, it never happened. No, oh, okay. unless unless I unless I'm off it too. Unless it's just Mo no,
2: and uh, Dilly
0: Dilly and Forrest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're like finally ditch those guys.
1: You're like I spend an hour and twenty minutes with them every week. That is too much time. <laughs> Oh, Mo! No. Just kidding, uh, just kidding. You didn't see the face she made. <laughs> um, I'm psyched for these rapid-fire pilots. I think the only thing that we didn't talk about before this show is, should we move MVP
0: to the smaller no. section? No, we just, if if there's...
2: I just think we can more appropriately defend, or just talk about our MVP.
0: This show's and... already long enough.
2: Without with a spoiler. it
1: wouldn't make the show it would make the show longer we would just move mvps to we wouldn't add an existing segment we would just move mvps to part two
2: right
0: no it would make it way longer we'd be analyzing it more than just stating it that's going to make it longer that's a valid concern
2: i still think our intro is way too long
0: chop it up let's chop it up
2: i just don't think we need to like just tell them what's going on
0: i like to know what's going on i think our
1: i think we've streamlined our intro a good degree I think we've streamlined the show intro.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll see, I'll look at it, but I guess you're right, Jimbo. MVP. There was a stater, lot of but...
0: feedback from people that that were like, I had no idea what was going on when I was listening. This and this is from our our other podcast net, networking, and that's a common thing. Like some people's podcasts, they just start like BSing, and like we we have more structure, so it's a lot easier to figure out what's going on. But some podcasts, they just start talking. You're like, what the hell is going on? Cool.
1: That's some good shop talk. Every day I'm hoistlin, Drew out.
0: Every day we're hoislin, Jimbo out.
2: Every day I'm hoislin, mo out.